it's that time again, another episode of Stick a Fork in It. Uh, we're so excited to have uh, someone who's in our world. Um, I will tell you, I have heard him speak. I've, of course, met him at work. I've heard him speak at other for other organizations. And I don't know, he's one of the most authentic human beings I think I've, I've met, uh, which, you know, this conversation will go into leadership as well, uh, because I, I believe that's what takes a true leader to blossom is authenticity. Welcome to the podcast, Kareem Spratling. Ooh. Yes! <laughs> You're on board with us. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. It's a new year, new energy. We're getting ready to move into the new home, as I like to call it. So. We are. We are. We have a new house on the horizon, all of us, which is so exciting. Yeah. Um, and I know you've been a huge part of that, and I definitely want to get to that. But first, I want um, folks to get you to know you a little bit better. And what has touched me over the since I've known you um, is the story you tell on why hunger matters to you and personal stability for everyone matters to you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I am not shy about saying that I am a child of food insecurity. Um, and, and I'm happy to share that story because I think that we need to recognize that food insecurity affects everyone and you never know. And, and it looks different on different people. But um, until I was the nine years old, I lived in a housing project, my mother and my older brother. Um, and during that time, um, food was, was tough. And we availed ourselves to um, the services. Um, we availed ourselves to food banks. And back in the day, we called them food stamps, but SNAP. And we, we did everything we needed to do and we could do to get by. And we were fortunate to benefit from the generosity of people who do things like donate to our food bank. Um, so a lot of that goes into who I am as a human being, as a combatant, and again, just circling all the way back to the humans that we serve and the families that we serve. You never know, especially in the course of this pandemic, who's suffering and, and what they're bearing. And what we want to do is treat everybody with dignity and honor and respect. And that, that's what drives me. You know, I, I often, you know, at Feeding Tampa Bay, you know, we are more than a meal, right? And you mentioned that at the time, until you were nine years old, you guys needed food banks and you needed uh, its SNAP benefits or food stamps at the time. Having that lift, did that help your mom get into a place where she didn't need to use it continually? I know that in our world, sometimes folks comment on how people are taking advantage, but we truly believe that it helps lift folks to stability. Can you tell us a little bit about that? No, I think that that's exactly right. So in our case, um, fortunately we had family members and we ultimately, my brother and I were adopted by my aunt and uncle when we were nine and, and we joined military and we went off and, and were military family moved around. But in terms of just reaching back to other family members as well, I do have, I won't, you know, call them out, but I have family members who availed themselves services, and it was it was enough to give them a boost. For example, one human I'm thinking of to get through undergraduate studies, and when that person's done with undergraduate studies, um, she came back and started giving back to the community, and she no longer needed those services. And but for that moment in time, right? But for the food bank, but for services that were there, who knows? Right. They could have gone either way. Right. So is there anyone, so currently, well, 
you are an attorney, right? And um, you, you're un. Well, you graduated from uh, get get ready for this at Florida State University. Florida State, yes. You're among friends. Yes, you are among people. Mm -hmm. Um, Where did you go to undergrad? Also, the Florida State University. (laughs) Doubling up, even better, even better. How was how was school then at the time when you were there? Oh my God, it was amazing. But the truth of the matter is, you know, I, I think about it now. When I went to undergrad, and even when I went to law school. I didn't know any attorneys, right? The only attorneys that I could model myself off of were TV attorneys, those Felicia Rashad on the Cosby Show and, and Uncle Phil on the Fresh Prince. So you, you don't know what you're doing. Right. So I, you know, I got there and I double majored in undergrad and then I decided that I would go to law school uh, and become an attorney. And I'm so grateful that there were people there that were willing to help me out. I'll just give an example. Um, he's passed away now, but the then president of the university of the Florida State University, Sandy D. Allenberg, I had the courage to send him an email say, I want to be an attorney. I would like to get a job. And he literally found me an internship at a law firm. So just the huh? kindness of strangers, right? I didn't even have the context to know that you don't send an email to a university president that's got hey. thousands and thousands of students and matters to, to deal with, but he helped me. <laughs> It worked. That's amazing. So who who was he would be? Would he be one of your mentors or that was just a connection? Who who helped you choose the path that you're on before you kind of explain what it is that you do? Oh, my God. It was an army of mentors. And that's why I tell people just continue to pick up mentors. You don't have to have just one. But there was, you know, Sandy D. Allenberg, who gave me that opportunity to start a law firm. Um, There was a um, as I was at the law school, there was a judge, her name the Honorable Nikki Clark. She's retired now, but when I was in law school, at the time I thought I was gonna be a litigator. And I came in and we do these mock trials in front of judges in order to get accepted to the trial team. And she was there and she poured into me. I think she could probably tell that I didn't you know, come from a family of lawyers, but she lifted me up. I unfortunately made the team. And we became so close that she ultimately officiated um, my wedding as well. So there was her. Um, and then there's the former managing shareholder of our law firm who found me when I was, uh, I took his class state constitutional law. And I had no idea really what I wanted to do. I thought maybe I'd become a, a litigator. And he said, well, no, you should come try out my law firm, Brian Miller. So I came and I clerked there for a year and, you know, almost 20 years later, now I'm at the same law firm doing something entirely different, but but for someone investing in me and, and encouraging me, I've never been here. So he saw something in you that would fit perfectly with what you do now, right? That's exactly and please right. Share with us, yeah, so please share with us your work and what you do for the community. So my second job, as Thomas Mance would say, the, the paying job is that... <laughs> I manage the Tampa office of our law firm. It's called Brian Miller Olive. Um, Tampa is our largest office. And primarily we represent governmental entities and anything they might need. We can come in and be a city attorney or county attorney or special council work. And then also what we do is finance, um, municipal bonds. So when government, nonprofits, et cetera, when they have a large project to finance, maybe it's a bridge or a stadium or a hospital, they come to us and we draft it documents in order to help them get to the market and access those funds and build those huge 
capital projects. So that's what I do day in and day out, mostly looking at contracts, being on the phone a lot, doing a lot of team meetings. But I really love I love the work because it always has to serve a public purpose. At the very core of it, you can't issue the debt unless it serves a public purpose. I say you can, you know, do well by doing good. So you're you're obviously you're with us. We're totally going to get into that in a minute. But what other nonprofits um, have you helped through your work achieve their goals? Oh my goodness, uh, there are lots and lots and lots. Um, think about your YMCA's. Um, think about your local hospitals. Really, almost any local nonprofit hospital we probably work with in the community. Um, the the aquarium. The latest and greatest one that I think is really exciting is that we did a transaction for the Marie Selby Botanical Garden, which is the first time I've ever done one for a botanical garden. But they used the funds to to uh, create a major improvement to their downtown Sarasota campus. And it's actually, they created the first net positive um, botanical garden where they, they're actually putting energy yeah. back on the grid. Yeah, and it, it's absolutely beautiful too. So if you go there and you see this thing, you're like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. I'll have to go visit that because I would enjoy that very much, as I'm sure our listeners would, too. So tell us about you, how did you come into our world? Who did you meet where you started working with Feeding Tampa Bay? So Kelly Sims uh, was my leadership Tampa classmate in 2012. Um, and I don't think she was with the food bank during that time. As a matter of fact, I know she wasn't. And then she came over and started working um, with the food bank, and she asked if I would stop by and visit the Hunger Dinner. And so Tammy and I, my wife, we went to the Hunger Dinner, and it's, it's crazy how that thing works. So you sit there, you're going through the process. For those who haven't been, I really encourage you to attend it. And you sit there, and I'm going to ruin the surprise, but you have a certain amount of money to eat, and you have a story and as I read that story and I saw the amount of money, I empathized with that. I immediately went back to my own history, right? And people that I know and family, that's a real problem. You know, you, you do what you have to do. And a lot of the times people that come into our world are not just looking out for themselves. They're, they're serving others as well. And those people that, you know, are, are leading the charge to show up at our doors are always putting themselves last. That was the initial sort of reaction. So I visited that, and then I came back and, and had some more discussions, both with Kelly and Thomas. And next thing I know, probably five years ago or six years since then, but I joined the board of directors, and it's been, been one of the greatest things that I've done in my life. So what is a board of directors meeting like? I know every board of directors is different. I've been with a number of nonprofits in my life. Um, my my thoughts are we, the kind of culture that we have at Feeding Tampa Bay that Ev and I both are fortunate to be a part of and celebrate. I kind of think that uh, that's what those board of directors gatherings are like. Can you tell me a little bit about that and what that responsibility means? Yes. Absolutely. So this is so important because we're in the middle right this moment of um, selecting new members of the board of directors and deciding who will retain. And this was a quote that, that I read out when we initially started this. And I want to share this with this group. So um, it's a quote by Elizabeth Andrew, and it says, volunteers do not necessarily have the time, but they have the heart. And so in searching for members of our board of directors, we often find that, you know, the right people 
um, that join our board of directors. They really don't have the time, but they are heavy on heart. And with that, they invest in our organization. Those are the people you want. So it truly is a super board. These are people who are CEOs and they're leading their organizations very high up in their organizations. I call it the super board. And usually the way it starts is um, I, as the board chair right now, will sort of lead the meeting and our fiduciary duty to the organization really all tracks back to making sure the organization continues to do the work that ties into our articles and our bylaws and our 501c3 purpose. And so a lot of the time staff will present items to us, whether that be Thomas or Amy or someone else on the senior staff, and we go through and we ask a lot of questions. Um, these people on the board, they have run businesses, they have marketing experience. <laughs> it's a, I call it a hot panel. It's typically a very active meeting with questions about what we're doing, all towards number one, serving our corporate purposes, and number two, serving our community in the best way. Well, and a lot of the folks in there, the expertise is very vast. You know, mm-hmm. some boards are small. Ours, like you said, is a super board, but everyone brings something to the table that's going to help us move forward in the future. Tell us a little bit about that future and what makes you excited about it. So I'm extremely excited about something I learned after I actually joined the board. So initially, I, I thought of a food bank exactly the way I thought when I was growing up. You know, you need food, you show up the door, you, you know, you get a meal, um, whether it be a hot meal or you get a backpack full of food and you take that home and you go about your life. Well, what I've learned over these past few years is that if you only do that, you don't shorten the line, right? You know, people just keep showing up. As a matter of fact, what we've seen in recent years with the pandemic and with the economy, that the line gets longer. So what I'm extremely excited about is this new facility we're creating. I know we'll talk about that, but it's the largest social service project in the history of our community. And what I love most about it is that there will be room to come there and get food. Food, absolutely. We'll always feed our community. But on top of that, there will be wraparound services. There's the fresh forest where people can come in. There'll be more space to to learn um, and find a career that may help you get out of that line. There'll be services. There'll be other nonprofits that are sharing that space together with an eye towards shortening the line by making sure um, that our community has the services that they need. What I like to say is that I hope it's an interesting business model when you're hoping to make yourself obsolete. And, you know, that'll probably never happen, but you're always at a goal where your customers don't need you anymore. And and that's what I'm excited about. Right. And also for me, it's a little bit of an emotional thing, too, is um, folks that are out there that are struggling, knowing someone cares enough to try to figure out, because if you need food, there's more going on. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you are, how can we help you get a job? Do you have a barrier to that? How can we help you make sure you put food on table yourself? So there's so many opportunities. I I don't know about you, Ev, but I can't wait for the fact that every time someone comes in that somebody will ask them, is there any other way I can help you and what that might feel like? And I know, Kareem, you know how that feels because you live that as a youth and what that means to have someone really, truly care about what's going on with you. It's not intrusive. It's just really wanting the best for that person in their life, right? I absolutely love that. And it, it again, it, it's a compliment to the way that we um, behave right this moment in our core ethos. I, I remember um, the law firm, we like to volunteer at the food bank as a team. And one day we were in the grocery store and we were loading groceries 
into the fridge. And one of the team members said that there were, there were questions about what you should throw away. And the team lead told us, if you wouldn't serve it to your family, don't leave it in the thing. And that's right. kind of core to who we are. Treat everyone with dignity and respect. Right. It's a, it's a beautiful culture to be involved in. You know, I wanted to talk about leadership a, b- a little bit. I, I mentioned in the um, the intro on how important authentic leadership is in our community and how, I don't know, I see it that folks rise to the top just because of that authenticity that they have, that true story behind them. Can you comment a little bit about that on inspiring future leaders? Absolutely. And, and part of it is, I feel like I've been lucky. I feel like I've been blessed. But one thing I really do love about this community in particular is that if you truly want to be involved and you want to give back and you do, there will be a place for you. Um, there are some places you know, in this world where you, you have to write a check in order to be involved. But here, I think that authentically, if you're willing to give of your time and your talent. You don't necessarily have to give of your treasure just to be involved. So mm-hmm. I've been involved in a lot of things now at this point in my leadership. I um, I remember starting as like a little baby in Emerging Tampa Bay, which is one of the Chambers Leadership Programs. And then, you know, a couple of years later, next thing I know, I'm the youngest general counsel to the chamber and on the executive committee and all of that. Part of it was love being in the right place at the right time, but part of it was also someone recognizing that this person wants to give back for the right reason um, in the right way. I'm currently serving as the um, the president-elect of the law school's board of directors. And, and next year, assuming there's not a clue, I'll be the, the president of the board of the law school, which is shocking coming from where I came from, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. 25 years ago, I don't even know a lawyer. And next thing, I, yeah, I'm going to be the leader of lawyers. But it's... um. I have found that if you are open for, to opportunities um, and you do what you say you're going to do, be impeccable with your word, then, then opportunities will come to you. That's certainly been my experience. Yeah, I love that because it's like your word is your bond. That's a little bit old school, but it's the truth. If, if someone can count on you, uh, they will let you help lift them, right? <laughs> so you're not the only leader in your family. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your lovely wife, who I also have met a number of times. She's wonderful. Talk to us about Miss Tammy. Oh, my goodness. I like to say I'm a multi-time lottery winner with the lovely Tammy Bryant Spratling, who is a leader. Ironically, we met as leaders. So she was the Student Bar Association president at Stetson's Law School when she was in law school. And I was a Student Bar Association president at FSU's Law School. And we met in Chicago at an American Bar Association conference for these law school leaders, right? So I will not waste the story on you, but Tammy did not like me very much in the very beginning. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. We need a little detail. Wait, wait. <laughs> what? She didn't like you in the beginning. You would never know that because anywhere you guys go, you're like the besties. That's right. Well, now, right? We've softened it. But it was, <laughs> it was initially not a match made in heaven. I think she thought the Florida State contingent was cocky and a little, <laughs> a little out of place. So I took some work to wear her down. So over the years, um, we're really over that one year that we were student body presidents. We've run into each other from time to time at conferences. And then uh, my guys and I, we made a nickname for pretty eyes. So we're at the bar exam and the bar exam is in Tampa, still the Florida bar. And it's in the convention center. It's huge room, like this big, like football field full of just tables with people taking the bar. So on day two, 
they tell me, we saw pretty eyes at the bar. And sure enough, after lunch, I see her and I felt, hey, hey. <laughs> so here's this story and I scream out, she's thinking she's going to get in trouble. I walk over and I ask her, what are they doing after the bar exam? I'm like, do you want to hang out? And she thinks to herself, I'm trying to take the most important test of my whole life. And this dude's trying to set up a date. <laughs> yes, he did. So that's right. But the date took. And it, talk about food, everything revolving around food. Like the next Sunday, she and I had a date. And I remember we went to the Cheesecake Factory. I'll never forget this. Um, so anyway, we had the date. Um, life's going well. Um, and we kind of established this relationship. But fast forward many years later, Tammy's journey, she started as a prosecutor. Um, and then she went back to set the law school, the alma mater, to assist there and ultimately rose to the level of being the dean of students. Um, and now she is, she's been doing some teaching, both she taught at Stetson's Law School and at USF, and right this moment, she's teaching a class at the University of Tampa, her other alma mater, but she's also the CEO of a local nonprofit called Community Tampa Bay. And, and the, the best way I explain Community Tampa Bay is they help people understand their differences and have difficult conversations about what makes people different and what makes people special. And, and I especially appreciate she does that work with young humans um, who I believe are the future. If you invest in them and help them be the best that they can be, then it's going to make me better every day, too. <laughs> Y'all are seriously the cutest when you're together. <laughs> I know. The cutest. I can't even. Thank you. Um, Thank you. So in talking about raising youth and influencing them, um, and better understandings overall, right? We were supposed to have you come in in January, but our schedules didn't align. And then we're right here in February, which are going into February, which is Black History Month. I'm gonna let Ev take over here and you guys can, cause I think that comes best from him as well. But talk yeah. to us a little bit about Black History Month. Take it away, Ev. Yeah, I, you know, <clears throat> something that um, something that comes to mind in thinking about Black History Month, uh, Thomas always says uh, towards the end of every year how a lot of people get into like the giving spirit around Christmas. And he often kind of has to remind them that the people that are in our world are having that experience year round. You know, they the people that get involved are often, you know, trying to be involved in November, December. But um, Black History Month, I think, is a time when um, that kind of that black experience comes to the forefront. And, you know, it kind of uh, puts everyone into the mindset of like, what is what is the black experience year round? Um, and so I'm just curious for you, like, what kind of impact or influence or uh, thoughts, you know, have you had around Black History Month in your life? And um, how do you think that, like, that is kind of best put towards understanding, like, the Black experience on a day-to-day -day basis? Year-round. Absolutely, year-round. That, that's a beautiful question. And I'm a, um, I'm a student of history, so one of my degrees is in history. I just absolutely love history. So, you know, first off, Black history um, is American history, and they're aligned. And sometimes I find that people get confused about why we want to spend so much time highlighting Black history if it's just regular American history. And I'll tell you, people, how they shake their heads, they get exasperated, but all of it goes to our country's original sin. Um, American slavery was such a disgusting, abhorrent version of slavery that it colors everything. In our slavery, we created a situation where human beings became property. And even worse, unlike, and if, you know, you might have become a, you might have been a slave in Europe, but then that doesn't necessarily mean your children are slaves. 
we created a, a system where human beings were essentially treated like like livestock. And the problem with that is then that colored everything. So we have that system of slavery. Then finally, slavery is ended. And then we have the slavery of Jim Crow laws and all these things that, that ultimately the idea was to dehumanize Black Americans. And if we don't recognize the effect of that on our country, then we also can't move forward. So my favorite thing about recognizing Black history is to recognize where we've come from and how far we need to go, but also elevating the success story. So I think it absolutely colors everything. And in our office, in our law firm, we absolutely celebrate Black history. And we will sit down, we typically, you know, in the very beginning, have a luncheon, and we talk about, you know, where we talk about the slavery experience, but then also we highlight triumph by Black Americans. And I think that, that again, the idea is, aspirational where we can go if we recognize where we came from. Yeah, I, I think that uh, y y what you said about triumphs is so true. I think that that's something that people may often be surprised about in this month when, you know, people are when when we're talking about black history and you bring up all of these amazing innovations and, uh, you know, progressive ideas that came forth from black people and black culture. And I'm curious, you know, for yourself, like you've said that uh, you, you'd never expected to be where you are today. You know, you're a success story of your own. And do you find that um, that sometimes maybe people are surprised that you're in your position or that, uh, you know, you you've faced any kind of like barriers as a result of just your appearance, you know, in getting to where you are today? Oh, absolutely. I, I, all the time. But I, I will give you just a couple stories, right, to show that you're never ex exempt, right? And I, and I recognize this, right? And even if I'm in a suit, right, you know, you still can't escape the fact that you're a Black American and those biases. So um, I talked about the work that I do. I'm a finance lawyer. And typically, I've been blessed that I work on massive, very complex transactions. So people tend to know me when I walk in the room. I'm just because there's a small group of people who do that type of work. But once in our community, um, I covered a small city meeting for one of my law partners. And it was not a very complex transaction, small city. Um, it's a loan with a bank. And I get there, and on the dais, the mayor of the small city is trying to change the contract on the dais. And you can't do that, right? They've already committed themselves to the contract. So I get up there in my gray lawyer suit. I've got my speech ready. I said, Mr. Mayor, might I be hurt? So I can tell him, no, you can't change the business deal. And he says, son, the time for public comment has ended. You need to sit down. <laughs> wow. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Son, you need to sit down. So that was his perception of me. Not saying the suit, right? I was saying my respectfully saying, may I be hurt? You know, fortunately, I'd spoken to the city attorney and the city manager before, so they knew who I was. So they backed that back really quickly. But you think about it, right? I'm in the suit. I'm doing the things. What is in his mind immediately said, this guy is not here for what he's supposed to be. Um, another example, even suited up as, um, and I'll tell this, I don't care. Hopefully the Tampa Club's not mad at me, but I'm a proud member of the Tampa Club and I'm collegial. I talk to the staff and, you know, I try to be kind to people because people are kind to me. So one day, Tammy and I are having a nice lunch at the Tampa Club, and we're chatting up with the staff because we like them, and we want to know what's going on in their life. And another member of the club comes over to my table and says, we're ready for our check now. <laughs> oh, wow. At the moment, I thought to myself, what? I'm sitting here enjoying my lunch with my wife, who's also a <laughs> member. What has made you jump to the leap 
that I am a server and I work here, but right. those are the type of biases. I don't know that she even meant it maliciously, but if you don't recognize that something in her mind, something in that mayor's mind said, this person's not here um, for the same purpose as I'm here. This person's not here to conduct business, that we have to always remember those biases are there. And I don't even necessarily, again, I don't think that's always with malice. But if you don't recognize that they exist, you can't try to um, subvert them. Yeah, I think that those uh, those un unconscious biases are are so huge, and I think that this is probably the a very uh, forward time of year to kind of be thoughtful about those and to be open to listening to the people around you talking about that experience and um, exactly things you're talking about the experiences that you've had even as a, a successful individual. And um, you know, I just want to uh, show gratitude to you for you know kind of setting an example and for uh, maintaining your roots. You know, I think that like. It's often um, a lot of times when people come from a, uh, a, a an oppressed background, you know, once they get out of that, they kind of leave all that behind because they want to live a better life and not remember that. But, um, you know, I, I it's very cool that you've gotten so involved with us and made such a point in your life of bringing your success, you know, to the forefront and sharing the story of what that was like along the way. And I think that obviously gives other people hope, but also gives them an example to follow. People need role models. And obviously you are one. So <laughs> thank you. A true I appreciate example, that. Yeah. A true example like, all the way around. <laughs> Shannon, I was just going to say, you know, I, I tell that story all the time, you know, about my upbringing and there's, you know, the longer story about ultimately we did get it evicted from the housing project. You know, you're nine. So I can remember all you're in a housing project and all of your things being on the corner, you know, they just, dump it all out on the road. And sometimes I think, I hope people don't get bored of hearing that story. But what I never want to be also is, you know, admittedly, I've been blessed and I'm, you know, not food insecure and not housing insecure anymore. And I never, ever want to forget where I came from. Um, and I do, I want to be a message and a blessing and an example to people that you never know where people came from. And you also, you never know where people can go if you invest in Well, and I think, your success comes from being authentic as well. And a lot of hard work and a lot of un taking the time to understand folks. You know, we're going back to this. In those times, is there somebody that crossed your path that helped you because they understood that you felt that kind of the gift that you give uh, to other uh, leaders or even folks that are fighting to get through life? Is there someone who gave that kindness to you? I, so... I would I could never um, answer that question without first, you know, thanking my aunt and uncle who adopted us, right? They're our parents now, but they already had three kids um, on a military enlisted man's salary. And wow. you go in and you take on your sister's two kids, right? And, and bring them into your home. And so that alone, right? But for me, um, the biggest thing I think of is family. And we see this in our community, I'm sure, right? When you're, when someone's struggling in the family, you have other family members picking up. So I can remember, you know, my grandparents, they're, God bless the dead, they've passed, but I remember using their zip code so we could go to better school, right? And <laughs> I paid back a lot of taxes, so hopefully no one will get mad at us. We had to do that. And I remember going to my other aunt and uncle's houses to eat dinner because, you know, they would just pick you up from school and that would just be, be that. So, you know, there's always family. I can never, never repay my family. I'll forever be grateful for them for lifting us up. But also, as we mentioned over the course of time, 
any number of people have been kind to me um, in undergrad, like that little blessing that all of a sudden the university president gives you a job at a law firm. At the time, I didn't even know how important that was. But then, you know, there's Judge Clark in law school, and then there's Randy Hanna, who was the managing shareholder of the firm. And then even when you get in a law firm, the way it works as an associate attorney, the partners are really your client, right? And the partners have to invest in you and give you work. And in my law firm, all these partners investing in me, in me. And then people in this community, it's constantly people giving back to me and pouring into me. So I'm constantly trying to be a light and do the same for others, you know? I, th- I think it reflects right back to you. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, a, right. it's a give and a give, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Right? It sounds like I a mean, cliche, but every time I, the more I give, the more the blessings seem yeah. to reflect back on me. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, first and foremost, we're all about food, right? So I'm going to, I've got to dip into a few food questions. You're talking about yeah. all these amazing folks who help lift you, who you um, give kudos for to who you are today. Is there a memory around a table that comes to mind as you're reflecting on all of these folks at all different levels, whether it be family or professional, that just brings you joy to think about? There, there are so many. Food is a big deal for us, admittedly, in our family. But I'll, I'll go back with the theme on, on family dinners. Um, and my, uh, my brother is a classically trained chef now, the one brother that biological mother and he um he always cooks the soul food dinners and so i go back and we we constantly either it's easter thanksgiving christmas the first meal after new year's and the one i go back to is the first year that the family started asking me to say the grace um before thanksgiving dinner let's go back to that and i had so much pride and this is um when both my grandparents were still with us as well and when they were there they you know run it ran a tight ship and all the families there and i said the grace and i felt so proud of myself and they all poured into me and they were grateful that you know as articulate i got the message across and that that has lifted me right because when i have to speak somewhere where i don't know people i think my family was there with me and they believe in me and they care me a lot that's a beautiful moment at a, a family dinner, whether it's however you um, respectfully honor the meal is when someone either prays over it or, or talks to the family. Um, mm-hmm. Where I am in my life, it always brings tears because like you said, you your, your grandparents have passed and you just always want to remember where these folks were in your life and how they brought you to where you are today. Absolutely. Um, it's about time for us to kind of wrap up the show. And we always end one with a really interest. It always comes out interesting, right, Ev? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're building a table. Okay. Okay. You're building a table. There's you and three other people. They could be here or they have, can be passed. Who are you inviting to that table? Oh, man. That, that is intense. <laughs> um, I grabbed two already. So the table four, right? So I'm there and I get three other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to take my grandfather on the Williams side, um, my mom's dad. I'm going to take uh, Barack Obama, plus two. But now I have one more counterpart to Barack Obama. I think, I know this is crazy, but as a student of history, I'm going to take Abraham Lincoln. So me, Barack Ooh. Obama, my grandfather, and Abraham Lincoln. 
yeah. What are you hoping is the outcome of that conversation? I would I would love to get um, President Lincoln's play on where things are now versus at the time of the Civil War, right? And we all know if you look if you read the history, the true history, the the Civil War. I want to be clear was fought over slavery, but he would have if he could save the Union and get rid of slavery, he would have. If he could have saved the Union and kept slavery, he would have. So it would just be an interesting conversation with President Lincoln, President Obama, my grandfather, who is one of the smartest humans I've ever known, um, having that debate. And me just listening, honestly. Well, that sounds like a really intense conversation, right? I love that. It's so interesting how folks come up with different things and, and I, I absolutely love it. What are you serving around the table? I think that uh, chef and your family serving soul food sounds pretty darn good to me with that group. <laughs> oh, without question. It's definitely the soul food dinner. Definitely the soul food dinner. No one would be disappointed. <laughs> and what's your favorite on the table? My favorite, I'll pick two things. Um, I like the ham and then my brother makes sweet potato souffle, which is like the sweet potato thing with eggs, and then they melt the marshmallows on top. So it's really dessert for dinner time, but <laughs> it's one of my favorites. That sounds delicious. Well, Kareem, thank you so much for spending your time with us and your service, not only to Feeding Tampa Bay as we move into an incredible future for our region, um, but for all those that you help as well. Again, like I said in the beginning, you're one of the most authentic people I think I've come across, and it's a beautiful thing. Thank you. Thank you, Shannon. Bye, guys. You can learn more about Feeding Tampa Bay and how to join the movement at feedingtampabay.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, and TikTok at Feeding Tampa Bay. <laughs>